welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Rather sobering and stunning passage, and if you know the rest of the story, this becomes a very significant event in the nation of Israel as their journey goes forward. But I'd like us to begin by imagining if there were an outbreak of real biblical wisdom within the Christian community, if there were a real outbreak, an authentic outbreak of real Christian biblical wisdom in the Christian community, what would we see? What kinds of things would be happening? And I would suggest we would see people practicing the way of Jesus in their homes, most especially, in their neighborhoods, in their work settings, in their schools, in various social engagements they have, and when they are at some sort of church gathering. Love would be running rampant in these settings. There would be a noticeable difference in the quality of people and in the quality of the relationships in those settings. Where there was conflict or differences of opinion, patience would prevail instead of anger. Where there was relational hurt and relational pain, forgiveness would replace retaliation and bitterness. Serving others and being other-centered would replace all forms of serving self. People would actually be growing in self-forgetfulness, less concerned about themselves, less concerned about their needs, less concerned about their shame and how other people perceive them, less concerned about their hurt and more oriented around others. The kingdom of God would be breaking into these contexts and we would know that God's presence and God's power was near. It would be sensed. It would actually be felt and experienced. It would be, if you will, in the air. Character qualities like humility, gentleness, kindness, joy, and peace would be on the rise. And again, I believe this would all be so palpable, we would actually feel it. We would actually sense it. We would see it and it would stir up something in us. It would awaken a kind of longing within us. And we would know and other people would know that life in the way of God's wisdom was far superior to life in the way of our own wisdom. We wouldn't have to go convince people of this because the truth of it would be demonstrated in the reality of our interactions. I don't know about you, but when I even think that possibly half of that is true, it stirs up something in me for my own life, for your life, and maybe most especially for our life as a local expression of the church. 
when you came in, there's a little white card on your chair. That's not there. So you can write down the grocery list later or three or four places you might want to visit for lunch when we're finished. That is there because at the end of our time together, I'm going to ask you to think about an area of your life that maybe your opinion, your view, your own wisdom has shaped your current perspective And possibly today, as we wrap up this series, would be a good time to surrender that and invite God to give you his wisdom in that area. We'll talk more about that as we come to the end of our time. For the past several weeks, we've been considering the life of King Solomon and his remarkable worldwide reputation for wisdom. When he first became king over Israel, God gave him the chance. You might remember we talked about this. God gave him the chance to ask for anything he wanted. He didn't ask for fame, money, pleasure, power, or a long and happy life. Instead, he asked God for wisdom to lead the nation of Israel and discern what was right and what was good. And God answered and gave him wisdom in abundance, and both Solomon and the nation flourished in every way imaginable. But Solomon is one of many tragic examples of a Christian person or a Christian leader who started out strong and well, but as time went on, he did not finish well because he did not continue on with God. Somehow along the way, he lost God and other priorities became what the book of Revelation calls his first love. Verse 4 of our reading says, Solomon turned away and his heart was not fully devoted to God. Verse 9 says, God became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away. It wasn't that Solomon was imperfect. It wasn't that Solomon occasionally strayed wasn't that. Everybody does that. Our life with God is up and down. In his heart, rather, Solomon turned away from God. And Solomon lost wisdom because he lost God. So losing wisdom is our subject today as we conclude this series. As we have seen for much of his life, Solomon walked with God, as the phrase is sometimes spoken. He led his nation. He constructed this glorious temple for God. He built his own magnificent residence where he lived, the palace. He made all sorts of everyday decisions as king. He made tons of money. Solomon was unbelievably wealthy. He also held court with other movers and shakers of the world at the time. So he was extremely powerful, and he did all of this for much of his life with God. There was a seamlessness between his faith in God and his everyday life. His devotion to God shaped what he did, and it shaped how he did it. But then, as the scripture says, as he got older... The Bible says he lost this God-first priority. And with it, he lost the life of wisdom 
that God had cultivated in him. And what became of him ultimately? We actually don't know. But what we do know is he lost God, he lost his way, and he lost wisdom as he got older. In Proverbs chapter 1, from the message version, you'll remember Solomon is the author of many of the Proverbs. He writes, start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. Or in more familiar language, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. The first domino in a life characterized by wisdom. The way to live in the way of wisdom is to start with God. Bow down to God. Keep God first. Jesus' phrase, seek first his kingdom. He's saying when God is priority one, everything else finds its place. You know, I know. Easy to say, not so easy to do. And today we face the sobering reality that in times such as you and I are now living, full of endless opinions and ideas and experts on every single topic imaginable, an avalanche of information rushing at us every day, authentic biblical wisdom that actually shapes and influences our everyday lives is hard to gain, harder to keep, and really easy to lose. Or, using the words of Proverbs 1, starting with God is difficult, staying with God is even more difficult, Losing God is relatively easy in today's world. And losing God doesn't necessarily mean we stop believing in him. It's far more subtle than that. Losing God is more like ignoring God. Losing God is severing his influence in how we process and respond to what is happening in the world and in our lives. Or put it this way, we sort of lock God up in the religious room of our lives, but we don't give him access to the full house of our lives. That's losing God. Losing God is replacing him with something else or someone else that is more captivating and more influential. Someone like me replaces God in my life. So I want to reflect on losing wisdom today. And I want to start by talking about what I think happened with Solomon. I think Solomon stopped learning. And when we stop learning, we start losing wisdom. See, when it comes to our faith or to God or to our Christian experience in this complicated world, when it comes to the nitty-gritty things like our marriage or family or politics or money, or war, or racism, or injustice, or you name the subject, Christians desperately these days need to remember that we don't know it all. We don't have God's full and complete view on anything. Because God's truth is not static in this way. God's truth, what we find in the Bible, what was incarnated through Jesus, is not something we set out to conquer. 
Rather, it is something that is continuously wanting to conquer us. So we've tried to emphasize throughout this series, wisdom is not a rule to follow every time. Wisdom is not a rule to follow every time. Wisdom is not a formula. Wisdom is not a Bible verse to memorize. Wisdom is knowing how to apply and live out God's truth in everyday life situations. So wisdom is rooted in God's knowledge of reality and in his truth. And this wisdom is nimble and adaptable in all sorts of different life situations as the Spirit of God leads us to follow him. So in our scripture, we're told King Solomon married many foreign women in addition to his Egyptian wife. And he did this. He married these many foreign women, even though in Deuteronomy 7, God explicitly told his people this. He said, you must not intermarry with those outside of Israel because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. And I assure you, Solomon knew this truth. Solomon had this Bible verse crammed into his head. So the issue was not, did he know it? The issue was Solomon stopped reflecting on this truth. That is, he stopped considering the ongoing implications of this wisdom in his everyday life. So it became a lifeless rule instead of a life-giving way. See, the issue from the beginning was never simply about an arbitrary rule God gave prohibiting people from marrying someone outside the Jewish faith. The real issue from the very beginning was how doing such a thing could turn one's heart away from the real God and toward some other God. So there was immense logic and substance sitting at the core of this prohibition. And Solomon, I would suggest to you, stopped learning. Or put it this way, he lost curiosity for the truth. It is a hazard of being a Christian to lose curiosity for the truth because we think we already have it. See, learning is not a head game. It is an experiential whole life game. It is allowing God's wisdom to reshape our perspective and our mindset and our attitude with the realization that this adventure never ends. Imagine for a moment, this is a little nutso, but go with it. Imagine being in a conversation with Jesus about the current state of American politics or about the current state of your marriage, or about raising children in this world, or about money and how to handle it, or about sickness and what to do when someone you love gets sick, or about death, or about injustice in the world, or about the suffering of the poor, or about lust, or about anger, or about Russia's invasion of Ukraine, or about the church and what's up with it or about sin, or about your own career planning, or about retirement, or about whatever you want. And somewhere in the discussion, Jesus asks for our thoughts 
and our opinion and our perspective on whatever the subject is. So we share it with him. And when we're finished, he says, you know, you're exactly right. You've got that one 100% dialed in. You have a holistic and fully developed perspective on that topic. You have my mind on that subject. So let's move on to another one. I mean, just imagine that. Probably not. See, one of the surest ways for us to lose wisdom is to think we've already got it in this or that area. So we stop being curious. We stop learning. We stop inviting God's spirit to be our teacher on things like marriage, war, racism, humility, politics, the church, and ever so slightly and ever so subtly, our current opinion, quote unquote, on these things sets in stone and is no longer an opinion because we are certain we are right. So we no longer prayerfully listen with curiosity or humility to those who have a different opinion. And I want to say this. This is not a wobbly or low view of the truth. This is actually a strong and firm and high view of the truth that keeps wanting the truth to conquer me instead of me conquering the truth. Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. What does that mean? It means fools don't really want to actually know and understand. Fools want people to think they know and understand. And I just ask you rhetorically, is this not the world we currently inhabit? See, this attitude of my opinion is right, this attitude and this posture is rooted in a low view of the truth as something to be acquired. And once it is acquired, it becomes a weapon wielded at those who disagree. Wisdom is lost when truth becomes a weapon. And maybe all this is a roundabout way of trying to remind us that we will lose wisdom when we reduce the Bible to an answer book or a rule book or a reference book and forget that it is primarily the story of God's ongoing interaction with human beings. And because God himself is inexhaustible, it is a story that never ends. And we don't ever figure it all out. A high view of truth recognizes The truth is constantly at work by the power of God's Spirit shaping me, shaping you, shaping us to be His people in this broken world. So prayerful curiosity and prayerful humility must be our posture for this is wisdom and this opens us up to even greater wisdom from God. I'm struck by Romans 11, verses 33 through 38, out of the New Living Translation. Just just listen to the magnificence being presented by the Apostle Paul. He says, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is 
for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. If we whittle that down, one thing we can say by way of implication is we don't ever figure it all out. Second reason Solomon lost wisdom is because he turned away. That phrase is haunting. He turned away. As Solomon got older, the Bible says, he turned away from God, and I would suggest to you he turned toward himself. He turned toward his weakness for women. He turned toward the gods of his many wives. At the beginning of his reign as king, you might remember, God said to him, walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commandments. Keep me first. Seek me first. And Solomon did this. But as he got older, he turned away from God and he prioritized himself, his own pleasure, his own desires. He lost God and the wisdom God had entrusted to him. I find it fascinating that the Bible says in verse 4, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. How tragic is that? As he aged, he lost God and lost his devotion to God. It says something to us about time and the importance of keeping first things first because over time, a lot of factors and influences in our lives want to make first things second or first things third. The pandemic has been a prime example of a social force that has rearranged our priorities and in some ways, this rearrangement has been for the good. And in some ways, this rearrangement has been for the very bad. As Solomon grew old, his heart turned away. There's just a haunting echo in that phrase. As Solomon grew old, his heart turned away. It says something to us about aging. As Solomon aged... This was the time in his life for him to be on a gracious and wonderful descent. Not a descent into standing on the sidelines, but a descent of his heart. A time for him to make room for others in the spotlight. A time for others to lead and build things and reign. And Solomon to stand behind them and encourage them along. A time for him to rejoice in the delight of a life well-lived and well-traveled, key phrase, with God. A time to let go. And a time to let others with gratitude to God for so much good that God brought through Solomon's life and leadership, but 
the tragedy, it didn't go this way. The priority of God first, that had shaped Solomon's life and leadership for so many years, was replaced as he aged. He turned away and he fed his own desires. It's interesting how sometimes we think of those who are younger, who need to get their own desires out of their system and chase whatever so they can turn to God. And yet the Bible is crystal clear here that here's a dude whose hair was gray and he turned away in that time to feed his own desires. Our Bible says his wives led him astray. I can't tell you how much that bugs me. And I don't think it means what we might think it means with just a cursory examination of the phrase. It makes it sound like Solomon's demise was somehow the fault of the women in his life. But does that make sense when we think about it from a broader biblical perspective? Is my turning away, is Mike's turning away or going astray ever someone else's fault or someone else's responsibility? Imagine if I said to you, you know, I turned away from God in this particular way and it was Julie's fault. I did that. I don't know what you would say. I got a good idea what she would say. Could it possibly be someone else's fault or is it my fault? Is it my sin? Is it my responsibility? Was it Solomon's responsibility? It absolutely was Solomon's responsibility. The gist of turning away is that the priority of God and his kingdom is replaced with some expression of me and my kingdom. That's the essence of what it means to turn away. I turn away from the priority of God and his kingdom and I replace it with me and my kingdom. Thy will be done becomes my will be done. See, Solomon is not some rogue pagan out to grab whatever he can in life. We have to remember this. Solomon was a seeker of God. Solomon was a pursuer of life in God's kingdom. But as time went on and as he aged, other things became his priority. Self became his priority. Miroslav Volf, in a wonderful book called A Public Faith, he's a scholar, he reflects on Faith in the public square. Faith lived out in everyday life. He wrote this, it's on the screen. The idea of flourishing as a human being has shriveled to meaning no more than leading an experientially satisfying life. The sources of satisfaction may vary. Power, possessions, love, religion, sex, food, drugs, whatever. What matters most is not the source of satisfaction, but the experience of it. My satisfaction. Our satisfied self is our best hope. Not only is this petty, but a dark shadow of disappointment stubbornly follows our obsession with personal satisfaction. We are meant to live for something larger than our own satisfied selves. Now to whittle that down and make it simple, we lose God and his wisdom when our lives orient around our satisfaction and that includes our faith orienting around our satisfaction. When my life is driven by me 
and what I like and what I prefer. And when my Christian experience is about me and what I like and what I prefer, then I am well on my way to replacing God with me. And I'm well on my way to losing wisdom and losing God. I've been a Christian since 1983, 39 years. I've been a pastor since 1991, 31 years. And I stand here today, and this I can tell you with absolute certainty. This is a truth that is absolutely for sure. This is a truth that I do have figured out. I, me, Mike, is never very far away from replacing God with me, with Mike. And replacing the wisdom and the way of God's kingdom with my opinions and with my preferences. And exchanging the call to be about his kingdom for a meager pursuit of self-satisfaction. That truth I've got figured out. That truth is etched in stone. That truth I know with absolute certainty. Wisdom is hard to gain. And it's hard to retain. And it's really easy to lose. So, let's go back to the beginning. As you think about all this, as you think about your life, as you think about the different aspects of your life, in what arena is an exchange happening? Where you're exchanging the wisdom of God for your own. Or in what arena has this happened? In what arena have you gone with your own thoughts, your own opinion, your own etched-in-stone conviction and sort of walled off the Spirit of God from teaching you more about that area. Let me give you some options. This happens a lot these days in the realm of politics where we lock in, we're certain we're right, and nothing, not even the Spirit of God himself, could move us off the ferociousness of our position. Maybe it's in the area of money. We got that one dialed in. It's this and not that. Here's what it means. Maybe it's in the realm of the various injustices in this world and how we think about those, how we process those, our instinctual and immediate reaction to those that has been informed perhaps not by the wisdom of God through the scripture that we humbly sit before with prayerful curiosity, but by something else. Maybe the way we think about the church and what it exists for and how it affects us and what we want from it, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe that's all been formed by something that's more like our opinion and not the wisdom of God. Maybe it's a perspective or an opinion we have of another person. Maybe it's a pain we've experienced in our past. Think about it in your life. What arena, what area has this kind of exchange happened where you have become king and God has sort of exists to endorse what you already think? Well, that little card you have, here's how we're going to end this series. 
This series is really a waste of time, fun as it's been. It's been a fun waste of time. But this would be a waste of time if we just walked out and left it there. I want to encourage you to be thinking about an area of your life where you'd like the wisdom of God to invade more, take over more, and shape how you think, how you process, how you feel more. And simply what I'm going to ask you to do is take a few minutes and jot down on that card a word, a phrase, whatever it is that represents you hanging on to that opinion or that view or that perspective. And then if you want to, and I hope you will want to, and when you're ready, come up, take that card, and put it in that garbage can. And then on the table here, you'll see this scripture that's opened. You'll see these big scrolls there that is indicative of the wisdom of God. Uh, Try not to take those. There's nothing written on them anyway. It's just sort of a prop. But there are pages on the side of the table that have three Proverbs on them, all the same. And those Proverbs are just a way to keep us thinking about the wisdom of God and how the wisdom of God wants to reshape us, alter us, and transform us. The idea is you take that piece of paper with those verses, put it somewhere prominent in your life where you can see it, where it's in front of your mind, you can read it, and trust that the Spirit of God will do something with it. Would you pray with me? And then we'll just enter this time where you can respond. Holy Spirit, it is so incredibly rich to gather together, reoriented toward you. To come in humility, to come with our lives open and our hands open, our eyes up, present to you, present to each other recognizing not only the sweetness but the mystery of the body gathered together in Christ I pray for us as we reflect we want to be humble people who hear your voice are shaped by your will, by your word, and by your way. And so meet us in this time and help us to surrender to you whatever you identify that needs to be surrendered. We pray this in Jesus' name.